today on Ag News Daily. There's about an 80,000 uh, truck driver shortage um, in the U.S., which is a ripple effect on our supply chain. The median age of truck drivers is roughly 51 to 52 years old. January 27th, 2023, Friday, Friday, Delaney, Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. You're very chippery today, Tanner. Well, you got to be, right? We're just that much closer to the weekend. We've got a big snowstorm coming. It's time just to get home, get the beverage of choice out, and hunker down. That's a good, good, uh, good thought there. Tell me more about the storm. I honestly hadn't known one was coming yet. We've got winter storm warnings and advisories issued from Idaho to Iowa. The National Weather Service is saying anywhere from northern Wyoming could see 10 to 18 inches with gusts of winds up to 45 miles per hour. The mountains might see five feet of snow in that area. Snow is also in the forecast for Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa. The northern Nebraskans could see five to eight inches of snow. Some local amounts might be higher than that here in Iowa. Depending upon where you sit from north to south, the amount gets less the further south you get. So the National Weather Service is stating that travel could be very difficult. There is going to be widespread blowing of snow and significant reduced visibility. But the biggest thing, Delaney, is that the wind chills will now begin to drop as soon as that front moves through. And we could see temperatures as low as minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're looking at a deep freeze coming after this snow hits. Oh my, that does not sound pleasant. I had not realized that this was coming. Yes. So yes, you probably on your way home should pick up your favorite beverage and just be ready to spend the weekend indoors. I, I That sounds pretty good to me, Tanner. I'm not going to lie. There you go. Well, on the weather front here, South America is calling for crop conditions to improve in Argentina, although conce- concerns are still lingering. They are getting a good round of rain along with a cold front moving through Argentina's Pampas region, which is in the, mm, let's say, central region of Argentina and is a primary growing region of both corn and soybeans. They said they had a widespread swath of rain, about half an inch to one and a half inches fell over some of the most drought-stricken areas of the country. And in response to that, the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange is saying that crop conditions has have improved, according to their latest report released yesterday, January 26th. Good ratings on corn rose 5% last week to 12% this week, and soybean ratings rose 3% to 7% good to excellent. So still not wonderful ratings by any means, Tanner. But they did also see crops in the poor ratings condition fell just a little bit week to week. Uh, 47% of their crops were rated poor, Week prior, this week, 39%, and soybeans also saw a drop 60% last week to 54% this week. So things are slowly improving, but not major improvements here where we're going to see record turnouts of crops and things really turn around here. Right. Yeah, it not, doesn't seem to have that significant of an impact headed our way. But what might have a big impact is the U.S. Department of Energy. They unveiled a plan yesterday on Thursday to fund 17 sustainable biofuel projects for an estimated $118 million. These projects are taking place at either universities or within private companies. According to their press release, the funding will range from $500,000 up to $80 million. 
This will contribute to the department's goal of cost-competitive biofuels and at least a 70% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. A couple of the notable projects is one right here locally in Nevada, Iowa. The Lincoln Way Energy LLC company will receive $453,000 for reduced carbon intensity ethanol through biogas from stillage and feedstocks. The Research Triangle Institute will receive $2 million in North Carolina to turn Stover into sustainable aviation fuel. Evapco, a Thomaston, Georgia company, is the largest award recipient of an $80 million prize for phase two of their biorefinery to achieve a net zero aviation emissions fuel through their biofuel. So it looks like here we are going to continue to see investment from our government into the biofuel sector. And a large chunk of that plan was unveiled yesterday, Thursday, for the Department of Energy. Senator, here's an interesting story for us on this Friday afternoon. I don't even remember how I found this story. It was in a wormhole, apparently, the other day doing some reading. But this is somewhat related to agriculture, but just kind of interesting in general. Scientists in Malaysia are mining metal, specifically nickel, from an unusual source. Uh, Tanner, do you want to guess what that source is of how they're mining nickel? I, uh, when you said mining, I don't know why my first thought was uh, out of fisheries. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to state that it's going to be from the floor of, of the sea. No, but that would also probably be a good guess. Um, Malaysia is actually m- mining nickel. From plants. Uh, They said in lieu of heavy machinery, the plumes of sulfur dioxide or rivers red with runoff, uh, you'll find four acres of a leafy green shrub that has been tended to by their local village since 2015. And so once or twice a year, they shave off about a foot of this plant. Uh, The plant, I'm not sure what it is they use. They don't say what plant it is. Maybe it's top secret. I don't know. But anyway, this plant, whatever shrub it is that they're growing there in Malaysia, grows about 20 feet tall. And so once or twice a year, they shave off a foot or two of the top, and then they burn that crop to produce an ashy bio ore that is up to 25% nickel tanner. And uh, they said this is obviously much more environmentally sound. Apparently, this is a thing that people do. It's called phyto mining, which means mining using plants. I was just blown away by this. Yeah, that's a new one. I'm glad we got to share that with our listeners. Speaking of plants and staying on the renewable energy side of things, Trutera has announced this week the launch of their sustainability services package. They're looking to provide farmers with a comprehensive suite of agronomic and financial resources that looks to help engage farmers in more regenerative farming practices. Every grower is in a different spot, they realize, says Tom Tom Ryan, the president of Trutera, and they're trying to build custom offerings for them. So they will allow farmers to establish a baseline to their soil health assessments. They will do market access analysis for them to help farmers ramp up their local markets in their area and then continue to provide context for them, their ability to work with and through retail segments to build a comprehensive, sustainable plan will help Trutera use their insights and tools to provide a great foundation for farmers to build off of. So it'll be kind of fun 
to keep an eye on what Truterra is going to unveil. I would expect to see maybe some more updates as we get closer to Commodity Classic, but they did put that release out. For context, they are uh, a company that originated out of Iowa and are continuing to grow. So looking to provide more market access and information to farmers looking to expand their renewable farming practices, Delaney. Well, Tanner, we've talked a lot about eggs here on the Ag News Daily podcast recently because eggs continue to be an interesting measure of inflation for consumers. Uh, According to some of the latest consumer price index reports, prices on eggs are up now 138% year over year. Previously, last I knew, it was about 109%. Uh, Eggs in December of 2021 cost on average $1.78. December of 2022, 425 and now in some places over seven dollars jason lusk uh, the head of the department of agricultural economics at purdue university says 11 percent of the total 2021 inventory numbers of egg laying hens were hit by avian influenza and he said that coupled with inflation has really pushed eggs higher apparently also this is kind of a fun random side note people are poaching eggs from across the border. In El Paso, Texas, there have been reports of U.S. Customs and Border Protection has seen a 108% increase in egg and poultry seizures because they are not allowed to cross the road, Tanner. (laughs) I wondered if you were going to go there. Very nice on a Friday, Delaney. Yes, thank you. I thought so as well. I can't take credit for that. It was magnetic ags joke this morning. So <laughs> that's good. Well, Delaney, all I've got left to do is to hit on a local trade show update that's coming here into our market. The latest technology and equipment will be on display at the annual Iowa Ag Expo that will run in Des Moines from starting January 31st. It's a three day event, and this is their biggest one ever, according to their marketing director. They will now have nearly 7.25 acres of the Iowa Event Center under roof, making it the largest indoor ag show in the United States. Wow. The Iowa Ag Expo is a great opportunity to connect farmers and industry professionals. And I just find this more difficult to believe because I've attended the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky, and I feel like the space there is so much more vast. But here at the Iowa Ag Expo, what you don't realize is there's multiple levels. So maybe when you combine Mm -hmm. the multiple levels, Delaney, these ag manufacturers and suppliers can get more packed into a smaller space. But they're looking for big offerings from precision ag, aerial imaging, livestock production and technology to input and data management. But this is going on in Des Moines, Iowa next week starting January 31st. And will you be there, Tanner? I think I will. Uh, yes, I do think I will be down there uh, probably with a couple of my co-hosts from Farm for Profit on the 31st itself. Got a couple of listeners and friends that are planning to come in from out of state for the show. So we should be wandering around that day. Are you going to go? I honestly had forgotten it was next week. It's sneaking up on us. But yeah, I'll probably try and st- uh, sneak out for a day at the show next week. Cause it is a pretty good one. So. Yeah. Well, I think I am all out of news for today, Tanner, aside from chat and markets. So what do you say? Let's get into it. 
Wonderful. Well, here we are at the midday here and markets are trading mostly lower across the board. New crop corn down four, about a half a cent here at 589. New crop soybeans down two and a half cents at 1350. And even wheat is trending lower in the deferred contracts. However, the front month March contract here is up just a quarter of a cent at 865. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets here at the midday, Tanner, we're seeing the opposite story. February live cattle are about 10 cents higher on the midday at 156.82. March feeder cattle up about 90 pennies here at the midday at a buck 83.75. And February lean hogs down about 40 cents on the day at 76.62 and a half. Now, Tanner, we just reported on the Ship It Act, which could save truck drivers a lot of money moving forward here and help with recruitment and retention of truck drivers. So we're going to turn it over to a conversation to dig into that act a little more in depth. Well, folks, we just recently talked about this new piece of legislation earlier this week on the podcast, the Ship It Act, which could save truck drivers on CDL costs uh, and various other training costs and things of that nature. We're here today to chat more about the Ship It Act with Matt Micah, the director for the Shippers Coalition, and Donald Grady with the International Dairy Foods Association. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and insight into this new act. Delaney, this is uh, Matt Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So, gentlemen, I think a good place to start out here would be to talk about some of the background of this legislation, because it's been a long time in the making. We've seen similar um, legislation come forward now for the waterways, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, very similar, it sounds like, legislative-wise. But, Matt, maybe you could give us a little more background information about the time and the thought that has gone into the Ship It Act specifically. Sure. Um, You know, here from the the Shippers Coalition, and uh, glad Donald could join us from IDFA as a member of that coalition. They're one of our uh, most important members. We really appreciate them. But I think most folks know, I know farmers, ranchers, and producers uh, throughout the the country who are moving supply, moving live haul, moving um, commodities, moving perishable items. You know, there's about an 80,000 truck driver shortage um, in the U.S., which is a ripple effect on our supply chain. The median age of truck drivers is roughly 51 to 52 years old. And recently, NPR did a story that showed there is one parking spot for every 11 semis. So as you're driving down the road, you see all these semis that are trying to get to rest stops and areas. There's just not enough trucking uh, stops for them and ability. We at the uh, Shippers Coalition have been working closely with Dusty Johnson and Jim Costa, uh, bipartisan uh, members here. Dusty is from South Dakota, Republican. Jim Costa is a Democrat from um, California. Both are on the, the House Ag Committee and Dusty's on also the T&I Committee. So it's great that they've introduced a bill that's looking to help out, you know, create efficiencies and help truck drivers, uh, one, get some money out there for grants, uh, help with the CDL process and just overall um help the, the trucking industry as we see possible. Um, you, you did mention Ocean Shipping Reform Act, and I'll let Donald talk about this, but we've also worked with Dusty and Jim on this. They were one of the four corners in the house. And so we've seen them get something over and passed before. So we're super excited to have the Shipping Act from um, two members that are very helpful and supportive. Donald, you want to jump in here from IDFA and how this is helpful to your members? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so dairy is such a dynamic product. You can make so much from a drop of milk, but that requires a lot of logistics and movement 
depending on what you're making. And so there's a lot of transportation needs that, that we see. Uh, also, we are extremely dependent on uh, exports to, to continue to support the local industry uh, here in the United States because we really do believe we make the, the best dairy uh, products in the world. But it, it's really important that we continue to, to address all of these issues. Um, ocean shipping reform was fantastic to bring some greater, um, address some of the systemic changes, uh, systemic issues that, that exist uh, within that issue, uh, that issue area. And then the uh, House introduced a bill last year to try and introduce or try to address some of the uh, rail issues. And this is just the next step along the way. Mm -hmm to try to address all of the transportation infrastructure issues. Uh, and for us, for our members, we're moving milk all over the country, all over the world. Uh, and, and our primary way of doing it, especially in the United States is by truck. So this bill is really important. And I think we couldn't overemphasize the importance that it puts on drivers in trying to address the driver shortage. Yeah, so Donald, let's dive into that a little bit more because obviously the Ship It Act will help lots of different industries, not just agriculture, but for agriculture specifically, a lot of the way, as you mentioned there, that we get our goods from one place to the other is through truckers. And as Matt mentioned, we've had a really big trucker strike lately, but for the dairy industry specifically, how do you see this act helping the industry? Sure. Uh, well, our, our members... Uh, IDFA members kind of have a, a mix of, of private fleets that they use to move uh, their goods as well as contracted fleets. Uh, and, and I will tell you, to, to a member, um, we were just at our uh, annual conference, our dairy forum, uh, earlier this week, and we heard from everyone, labor, labor, labor is most important. And driver shortage is something that we have been hearing about. And so just doing what we can um, to be able to address the severe shortage of cars by drivers uh, and address the obstacles that drivers have, whether you're already in the industry or um, if you're trying to get into the industry, uh, it is critical. This bill will address pay for the drivers, hours and regulatory burdens that exist that make it harder for them to, to operate once they're already in the business. Um, you know, the workforce grants and the CDL, CDL regulatory improvements are, are, are really critical. Um, we, we have a member that I was speaking to last year who was saying that they were recruiting some drivers uh, and yet they were having a very difficult time kind of in their local area of finding a place where they could get an appointment to get uh, their CDL certification. Uh, they happen to be on, on kind of the eastern edge of, of the state which they're in. And they said they had uh, some, some folks who were trying to get these appointments who could have gone, uh, you know, 30 minutes down the road to the east, uh, but that would have required them crossing a state border uh, to get a certification. So they weren't able to do that. So they had to drive hours across the state um, back west to, to a, a state uh, location. So, you know, we're, we understand that we need to bring in extremely qualified drivers to, to do these jobs. It's, it's important, but we've got to do things to make it easier for folks who do want to get into the industry uh, to actually get those certifications. And, and it just this bill will certainly address that and make it easier. Um, that, that's just kind of one example that I have, for, you know, hearing directly from a member uh, last year. 
And I think it's great. It's going to make it easier for getting truckers recruited into the system. But as far as recruitment actually goes, it's great that we have this legislation or could have this legislation to entice folks to come into the industry. But as far as the actual recruitment process goes, is there a path forward to entice, you know, young people coming into the industry to say, hey, this is a good job. It pays well. Uh, there are obviously rooms for room for advancement here. What, what's the plan for actually getting people into the roles? Delaney, I'll, I'll jump in here. We, the Shippers Coalition, have been supportive, and a lot of folks know this. I believe it's roughly 45 or 46 states allow uh, folks that are 18 to, to 20, 21 drive um, on the roads, but they can't cross state lines. This has been a federal law regulation that just doesn't make any sense because if you're a farmer, rancher, producer on a state border, you know, why couldn't you cross the line? What's the difference there? Um, so there's been a push from Department of Transportation and Department of Labor to do an apprenticeship program to allow uh, drivers under 21 to cross state lines. And we've been supportive of that. A um, couple of our members of the Shippers Coalition have got into that pilot program, and we've actually put comments related to that, to the Department of Transportation and Department of Labor. And, that, and that's just one step. Um, I think a lot of folks um, are worried about, you know, an 18 year old or 19 year old getting behind a, a truck, um, you know, going down the road with all the safety precautions. But this is something with the right training, the right apprenticeship program, the right hours, um, they could be in that spot. And this bill will help them um, do that. Um, also, if you think about it this way, um, an individual at 18 or 19, male or female, can sign up for the military and drive you know, a Humvee or one of those military, one of those vehicles, but can't, you know, drive across state lines here in the U.S. So it's just one of those regulations that probably many, many years ago made sense on paper, but doesn't. But um, that's another uh, aspect with the Ship It Act would be super helpful for drivers, uh, young people and farmers and producers. You know, our, our members are constantly working within their local communities at, at schools, at uh, vocational schools, high schools. Uh, community colleges to try to get in front of them, not only to talk about how great it is to work in the dairy industry and how great it is to work, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in a plant, uh, you know, making milk, cheese, butter, ice cream, any of these, uh, how they are good, high paying jobs, um, but also, you know, trying to recruit these drivers. And, and so we're out um, you know, going to recruitment fairs. We are out just, again, as I said, within the community. Um, I know that there's been a few aspects uh, or, or a few efforts that have, uh, in California specifically, where local municipalities, uh, I believe it was in Mr. Costa's former district, um, held a, a job fair uh, in conjunction with the Port of LA to try and help recruit drivers to come down and, and do some drayage. Uh, driving and and you know there's there's a lot of different aspects, but it's, it has a lot to do with community partnerships, developing those reputations within your community of, of being a, a good employer, and also you know our members do a lot um, to help with quality of of, of life. Um, you know we we've got members who when truckers come to their their operations to either drop off or pick up, you know they've got quality restrooms and, and like. Uh, places for them to, to relax while, uh, you know, the operations are happening, trucks are being unloaded or loaded. Um, you know, we do a lot to, to try and address a, a lot of those issues just to make it more enticing. Absolutely. And I think that's really a, a positive light here for 
this act that was introduced on Tuesday of this week, but what is the path forward? It was just introduced, uh, as you guys mentioned, by Representative Johnston and Costa. Where does it head from here? What's the path forward? Um, that, that, that's a great question. This is the uh, the process of, you know, the people of um, making a bill, kind of making the sausage. So the bill has been introduced in the House. It's been submitted to three committees, the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, and the Education and Workforce, uh, just because of the different aspects in the bill. Um, the hope, as we know, and, and we know Dusty and, and uh, Dusty Johnson and Jim Costa have both done this before, as you mentioned, on the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. They will work hard to get hearings in all, all these uh, potential um, committees and move it forward, get it marked up and move it to the floor. So um, this is just step one. Um, for folks that are listening in that are interested in this, what we can do is please call your members of Congress um, back in your home state and your district, ask them to look at the Shipping Act and become a co-sponsor. The more co-sponsors that get onto a bill, the lot easier it is to, to move out of committee and, and to get moving forward. But this is a priority um, for both of these members, which is why they introduced it so early in a new Congress. Um, Donald, you want to add anything to that from your perspective? No, I think you said that perfectly. Well, fantastic. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your insight into this new Ship It Act, and we hope it moves forward uh, quickly. Great, Delaney. Really appreciate your time today, and thanks for having us on. Yep. Thank you so much for, for allowing us to be here. But that was a good conversation there. Good to get a little more insight into the Ship It Act. Don't say it with a T or that would be a bad thing for the Agnes Daily Podcast. You get us flagged, I think. It reminds me of the Target commercial where the guy oh, yeah. says that he shipped his bed <laughs> and he also shipped his pants. Yes. Uh, that's probably one now our listeners are going to go to YouTube and find. And that might be a great way to end a Friday episode is having you out there laughing at that Target commercial about their convenient shipping. So listeners, thank you so much for listening to us. Follow us on social media. If you can't make it to our Ag Expo, be sure to catch the pictures of us sharing our time while we're there. So thanks again for listening. And Delaney, what do you say for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 